Welcome to Shekinah International Podcast. Our ministry reflects the five-fold ministry model Apostle Paul mentions in Ephesians 4, 11, and 12. Our podcast features leaders from multiple churches who are passionate about equipping Christians just like you to walk in purity and power, fulfilling your God-given purpose. God wants to do great exploits through you, so enjoy today's podcast. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Bob Jones prophesied when the Chiefs win the Super Bowl, you will know that revival is about to come. God is raising up his apostolic Chiefs. Come on, somebody. It's time. It's time. So I'm hoping this is the Super Bowl because it's been 50 years since the Chiefs have won a Super Bowl. 50, for those of you that don't know, is the Hebrew equivalent of a Jubilee year. Just like Alan was telling us about earlier, those sanctuary cities, those times when the, the indentured servants were released and everything was forgiven and given back to them. Yeah. Jubilee is a beautiful thing. It's where our debt is erased. It aligns with that reckoning word that God gave at the close of the head of this last year. The accounts come into balance. Everything delayed is restored. All the blessing is given back. You know, for those that have other things coming their way, it's not as fun of the year. But for those of us that are in him, it's beautiful. Can I just say amen? Amen. This is kind of cool. The San Francisco's 49ers, you know, we bless you. But the Kansas City Chiefs logo for them is a spear head. And I just, when I looked at that this morning, I was kind of looking up the information. Because I'm not a football person, okay? I'm just not. Whatever. I never watched Super Bowl ever, ever, ever. But this, I heard about the prophecy. And Jackie was making fun of me this morning. She said, oh, you're all excited about Super Bowl. I said, yeah, because there's a prophetic word on it. Now I'm going to. See, the apostolic chiefs arise. Come on. My husband's name means mighty chief to serve. I'm holding on to that word for him. That will come out of the season of grieving into his apostolic chief anointing. Can anybody agree with me for that? Amen? Amen. And the stadium is Arrowhead Stadium. Oh, somebody say that. That's what I'm talking about. I'm just saying. That's our God. So as I prepare today, you know, I do what I do. I talk to God. I ask him questions. I'm he answers me in his timing because his timing is perfect and mine is not. Has anybody else learned that lesson? Yeah. Anybody else been a painful lesson for them? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But anybody else realize that God's timing really is always best and the fullness of joy comes when we rest in that reality. Oh, I was doing some searches online and this is what I heard. No surrender, no retreat, no regrets. Can you say that to your neighbor? Say, no surrender. No surrender. No retreats. No retreats. No regrets. No regrets. Come on. Amen. I found out that it was military.com's motto. I was like, yes, somebody. I went into my left, 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 left. And then he brought me to a story in Luke that's just awesome. I'm going to read it out of the Amplified Classic Version because it helps us understand the original language a little bit better. Put some words in there that we don't see in the NIV or the ASV or the King James Version. So it's a little longer. Can you guys bear with me on this? Yes. I'm just going to read you the entire story. It says, also, Jesus told them, his disciples, a parable to effect that they ought always to pray and not to turn coward, faint, 
lose heart and give up. He said in a certain city there was a judge who neither reverenced and feared God nor respected and considered man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him saying, protect and defend me, give me justice against my adversary. And for a time he would not. But later he said to himself, though I neither have reverence or fear of God, nor respect or consideration for man, yet because this widow continues to bother me, somebody say bother me, bother. Mm -hmm. I will defend and protect and avenge her, lest she give me intolerable annoyance and wear me out by her continual coming, or at last she come and rail on me and assault me, and he says, it goes on the amplified to say, and strangle me. That boy was scared. He was scared of her. <laughs> then the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not our just God defend and protect and avenge his elect, his chosen ones, who cry out to him day and night? Will he defer them and delay help on their behalf? I tell you, he will defend and protect and avenge them speedily. When the Son of Man comes, however, will he find persistence and faith? I love that it says, also Jesus told them a parable to effect that they ought always to pray. That they ought always to pray. And not to coward. That's the first time I've ever heard coward used that way. It's an adverb, a verb. Not too coward, which means to faint, to lose heart, and to give up. The whole point of the parable of the unjust judge is so that they know that they ought to always pray. Not sometimes, not once in a while, not give up after they don't get their answer one or two times. Not cry because it's not going their way. Not quit because their feelings are hurt, right? And I've been there. How many of us have been there? Let's be honest. Not through a fit or a tantrum, because it doesn't look the way we thought it was going to look, amen? And we've all done it. We're all children of God. Let's be honest, okay? It's okay. Yeah. Yeah. It hurts. When that flesh is dying, we, we have a minute, and it's all right. But he said, this was the reason he told this parable. I love that. So I heard no surrender. If you look at the story, there are several characters in the story. One of them is the unjust judge. He was not a godly man. He was an evil man. It tells us. Though I don't reverence God. Though I don't fear him. He said, right? So he wasn't a godly man. But he was the judge. He was put in charge. This evil man was in charge of the decisions made in a specific court on earth. And he, her fate seemingly was in his hand. Holy Spirit said to me immediately, do not surrender to unjust people. It doesn't matter who's in that throne. It doesn't matter who's over you. It doesn't matter who's talking about you or gossiping about you or saying things or seems to, in some way, shape, or form, have authority over your life. You do not surrender to unjust people. Don't do it. I love this because she didn't give up. She didn't dishonor him, but she didn't give up. She persisted and she went back again and again and again and again and again. She followed the system. She followed the protocol. 
She did what was needed to be done. She went before him because he was in charge. She recognized that reality and asked again and again and again and again until the Lord said yes. And he didn't say yes because he all of a sudden revered God. He said yes because he was afraid. It said he feared her. He thought he was going to strangle her in the Amplified. Sometimes God will work on the hearts of an unjust or an evil person and cause them to fear you. And to do what you've asked them to do just because he wants what he wants and he wants you to have justice. And they may not do it for the right reasons or with the right motives, but it doesn't matter. Greater is he that is in us than he is in the world. I don't care why you do what God told you to do as long as I get my answer. Amen? So do not surrender to unjust people. And then I heard do not surrender to bitterness. Do not surrender to bitterness. Hebrews 12, 15 says, see to it that no one comes short of the grace of God. <coughs> grace we have freely received and we are required to freely give. Right? And when we don't freely give it the way that we received it, what happens is that root of bitterness grows up and the scripture tells us it grows up and it defiles many because we can't keep our mouths shut. We're made in the image of God. So every time we open our mouth, we create another little seed of bitterness here, a seed of bitterness there, a seed of bitterness here. We do not surrender to bitterness. Because the temptation when you don't get the answer that you want or you don't get the response that you want when you see injustice in someone else is to be angry at the person. But the word tells us that the heart of the king is in the hand of God and he set them there for a season for a reason. And it could be to keep you in that place of perseverance until the fruit is produced in you that's needed to take you through the destiny that God has planned for you. And if he lets you get that answer too quick or too fast, your spiritual muscles are not going to develop. And you will actually be prepared for the fullness of your destiny. I'm going to encourage myself. Thank you, Stephanie. Amen. Thank you, God. <laughs> I, this is encouraging me. I'm not trying. It's too late. I'm not trying to be funny. I'm serious. This is encouraging my heart. I needed this. Do not surrender to your circumstances. Amen. Do not surrender to your circumstances. When the winds of life are whipping around you and voices are coming and going and it looks like nothing's shifting and nothing's changing and you know what God said. I know that I know that I know it is written. I know that I know that I know God is good. I know that I know that I know he gave me this prophetic word and I'm holding on tight to it. Do not surrender to this circumstance. It's just like we talked about in the water workers preaching a couple weeks ago. Peter got out of the boat, and as soon as he got his eyes off the rainbow word from the Lord and what God had promised him, he started to sink. And we're going to do that sometimes. But you remember what God taught us a couple weeks ago, you guys? What we have to say? All we have to say is, save me. You're right back where you started. You're walking on water again. You're standing on that word. That's how we grow. That's how we become strong. That's how we learn to go from faith to faith and glory to glory. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's okay to fail. It's okay, it's okay if you get your eyes on those circumstances. All you got to say is, save me. Amen? Can I go down for you as I did? Do not surrender to those who say, stop not everybody has the same level of faith as you because not everybody has the same destiny and call as you do. 
I can remember very clearly sitting down with Eric Schertzing here in Lansing and having a conversation with him. And for those of you who don't know, he's an elected official. And he looked at me and said, you're crazy. He said, you are crazy. You are never going to get those pastors to talk to each other and get along. There's no way what you're talking about is going to work. And I had an immediate like, flash vision in my eye of a big stone in the middle of a riverbed, and the water just went right around it. And all of a sudden, the water started to loosen up that big boulder, and it went right down the river with it. I said, well, you get swept up in the movement. <laughs> never tell God never. The moment a word is released from God's mouth, the very power to accomplish it is in the word. It's just like a seed. The seed itself has the power of the million acorns within it, or 10,000, whatever it is, however many each oak tree creates. You have every, that's why God says, you have everything you need for life and godliness. Job and his friends, you know. Poor Job, he didn't have very good friends. I mean, Elliot Hess was pretty cool. He lost all kind of stuff, right? Yes. Awesome. God love him. Once saying, you didn't do this, you didn't do that, you messed up. You need to perform, 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 perform. Maybe you just need to repent. You totally missed this, right? You're not getting your answers to prayer because you need to repent about A, B, C, and D. The other one's talking about traditions. Well, you didn't uphold the traditions of our people, of our ways, of what we do. And Eliphaz finally, well, you might want to trust in God. <laughs> it's true for us, one friend. And in the end, the Lord told his friends, Job needs to pray for you. What he prays for you, you'll be restored. But you need to go to Job, and you need to ask Job to pray for you. Sometimes we look at people's circumstances and what they're going through and we point the finger and say, they did this, they did that. Surely they've sinned. Surely something's wrong. Surely they've missed it. Surely this, surely that. What is that surely for you? I don't know. Surely God, I don't know. Don't call me surely. Don't call me surely. Boy, Sue, right? Yeah. Oh, that's not But we do that, right? We cling to our surely's. Right? The enemy will quick, he'll come, and it'll sound good, it'll sound accurate, it'll sound prophetic. Right? And then the enemy talks us into becoming a Holy Spirit Junior, and we got to go correct everybody we see. Judge every person in our path, because what is written is written is written. And what happens is we become little, you know, Pharisees. I see fault in you, I see fault in you, I see fault in you too. Not me. I see fault in you, I see fault in you, I see fault in you too, but not me. I'm clean. He loves me. I'm perfect. He loves me. My faults don't matter. What's wrong with you? I see fault in you too. You see how he tricks us? When the reality is that but for the grace of God, there go I. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It's just a reality. And love is the only thing that and when we love, when we are gracious, when we are kind, when we are forgiving, when we are edifying, when we build one another up, we come into the fullness of who it is he's called us to be. And true love always says, I accept you for who you are, your hotness and all, because I was a hotness too. 
And we are free. We're free to choose how far we go with God. He says there'll be 30, 60, 100 fold, right? And some people don't want it. They're like, I'm good. I got my little harvest right here in my personal life. Right? Or I got my little harvest in my work life. But I don't want all that state, kingdom, city, nations. You crazy, girl. I just want to be comfortable. That's okay. You let us choose. I love the story of the Canaanite woman. I absolutely love the story of the Canaanite woman. In Matthew 15, 21, it says, Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from the vicinity came to him, crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. So imagine when she's home, her daughter's demon-possessed. She does not have the proper tools knowledge, revelation to do anything about it, and she's suffering, and this mother is desperate to get some help, to love for her daughter that would lead her. Jesus didn't answer her word. Sometimes we get mad, but people don't pay attention to us. Maybe daddy don't want to talk to you. What you got to say ain't from him or any time. I don't know. But Jesus was perfect and he did not say a word to her. Sometimes it's just a test of will you get better or will you love? So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away. For she keeps crying out after us, persistence. Just like the persistent widow. She keeps crying out after us. She won't go away. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. In other words, I know who I am and I know what my calling is, and this isn't it, and you're distraction, and I need you to stop. Because this is what God's called me to do right now. So please, stop. And look at what she does. The woman came and knelt before him. She said, Lord, please, please help me, she said. And then he said this, and I was like, Shh, this would have been a hard pill for me as well. The Lord looked straight at him, and he replied, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Come on, that had to hurt. That's just, that just seems rude. Okay? But Jesus is perfect. So that tells me two things. Number one, she probably wasn't saved. Because he said the children's bread, not Israel. But humility can carry you through many trials and many offenses. This was her response. She didn't holler back and say, Girl, I know you did not just call me a dog. I will tear you up. She did not get angry. She did not rebuke him. She did not withdraw. She did not isolate. She said, yes. Yes, it is, Lord. She agreed with him. But she said, even the dogs eat the crumbs from the master's table. Then Jesus said to her, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that moment. 
Humility and persistence will carry you through to an answered prayer so many times. That was Jesus. That wasn't an unjust judge. He's perfect. Sometimes the Lord will use his children to say things to you you do not want to hear. And it will come across unkind or harsh or cruel. And yet the Lord allowed it. And in that moment, if you will hang on to humility, and look at what she did. She agreed quickly. Yes, it is. What can I agree with? Where's the partial truth or the truth that I can grab hold on and say yes? And grab it quick. Yes. That is true. You will get your answer to prayer. Does that encourage anyone who says they will? So no surrender. Say this with me. Say never, never, ever, 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 ever surrender. surrender. Alright, turn to your neighbor saying, no retreat. No, no retreat. retreat. That's right. No retreat. Okay. No more retreats. <laughs> Different kind of retreat. Shishi, I'm glad you said that. No retreat, even when the answer is still no. Okay. The answer was no over and over and over again with the unjust judge. The answer was no from Jesus, who was holy and perfect, and heard the voice of the Lord very clearly. He was not making a mistake. But no retreat, even when the answer is no. You ask again and again and again and again and again. Even Jesus shifted his primary focus and his primary call to a distraction that he was, that was not his mission. He straight up knew what his mission was, and he said, this is not it. And yet she was persistent, and she was humble, and she was persistent, she was humble, the disciples came to him, started bothering him, he said, okay, okay, okay. Right. Tried to put it away himself. She humbled herself, agreed with him, and he said, it got a hold of his heart. So his question was, do you think Holy Spirit prompted her to say those words? It's entirely possible, but because he called her a dog, and he, the other context was child of God, I don't think so. I think the love for her daughter, I think the love, the pure love for her daughter probably motivated her, because she watched her, she was tormented every day. And love is a powerful thing, love is the only thing that never fails. But the scripture does not say that the Holy Spirit prompted her now, and then the context implies that perhaps she was not, did not know the Lord. No retreat because isolation destroys faith. Turn to your neighbor and say, I need you. I need you. Okay. Iron sharpens iron, amen? If you're not in company with other people that are different from you and sharpening you and rubbing you a little bit wrong sometimes, you're actually not getting sharp. You're probably dull and rusty, and you need to get back in fold. Amen? Amen. We need each other. Right? No retreat because we grow when we stay in the battle. Okay? Just like that sword, when it's in the fire, it heats up, and it's able to be forged and shaped. Right? But when we pull back from a battle, and we're just like, whoa, 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 I gotta get out of here. I'm out. Bye. We actually, the pressing stops. Remember we, the, the teaching we did on the anointing, that final press? Okay, if you're the olive in that third press, let me tell you something. You're wanting the owl of the basket. But it's too late because it's done clamped down on top of you. There's 12 other baskets on top of you. You're not going anywhere. Some situations with the Lord, he takes you into a place and you said, yes, you're in it. 
And you're in it whether you want to be in it or not. And that basket's coming down and you're already in. You can't go nowhere. If you're really truly surrendered to him. You're not trying to wiggle your way out. Amen. The growth happens in the battle. The growth happens in the press. Amen. Never surrender it. No retreat because miracle happens under the heat of fire. When we're in situations that we can control, that we understand, that we've experienced before, oftentimes we will lean on our experience rather than call on the name of God. Now we've been talking about that a lot here, how important it is to say, Lord, what is this and what do you want me to do about it? Letting Holy Spirit, letting Jesus be the head of his church in the sense that we never want to assume it's always going to look or feel a certain way or mimic someone that we've seen do it and, and has gotten a certain result. Because we can miss God big time that way. There's great power and glory in just allowing God to flow however he wants to flow. Whether we're comfortable with it or not, whether it looks like everybody else is doing it or not. Because he's in charge. He can do what he wants. Can anybody say amen to that? No retreat because our God is willing and able to defeat every foe. Come on. Come on. David stood and he faced Goliath. Now he had to take off Saul's army and people do that to you. This is how you need to stand. This is what you need to say. This is how you need to do that. This is what this looks like. You can't this from the altar this way. This is a mask you need to wear. This is how you need to say this. Say that. Right? You need to have a suit on. Women should be wearing skirts, heels. Your hair should be pulled back. You shouldn't wear no crazy earrings. Women should be free too. Well, I'm sorry, this is the lesson we chose. And I've become okay with that. That's a issue. It can be uncomfortable when we're breaking out of those cultural norms. But the more you learn to hear his voice clearly, the more you submit to him and you obey him, the easier it gets. And you take that next step of faith and that next step of faith and you just realize God's okay with me, so I'm okay with me too. And the reality is this. He talks about us as diamonds, as one of the analogies that's used, that coal that gets pressed and pressed and pressed into a diamond. Every diamond is unique. It has, I used to work in a jewelry store. And it has different imperfections in it, okay? And everybody say it's okay. The imperfections actually help the light shine through the diamond in a different way. Okay, so you always have the full spectrum of the rainbow, but when it hits those imperfections, it'll shine differently on the wall or on the spaces around it. It's pretty interesting. They have different colors. They can come in pink and yellow. Clear. Elijah was confronted by Jezebel right after the biggest battle in his life. He was tuckered out. He built an altar. He dug a pit. He taunted the prophets of Baal for a few hours, 12 hours, or whatever it was, while they were trying to build theirs. And then he slayed them all by hand. <coughs> Killed them all. <coughs> the River. That man was tired. And here comes Jesse. And yeah, we're on first name basis. <laughs> she thinks she's funny, but I'll tell you what, this is what I thought about today. Everybody talks about Jezebel like she's scary, but I'll tell you the truth. She is a coward in the spirit because she only comes to Elijah when he's worn out. What does that tell you? He's got to be tired for her to win. He's got to be tired for 
her to get in at all. He didn't come to her before that. He came right after when, she, when he was tuckered out. Holy Spirit spoke that to me. So prophets, be encouraged. Jezebel cannot touch you. And I have about had it up to you with her. Her day has come. And in the corporate church and nationwide and in the nation, she's being tossed from the tower by her own eunuchs. And young ones, cover your ears. I don't know any other way to say this except to say this. It's men without man parts. You tracking with me? And I tell you, we call it cojones. And what they do, <coughs> what she would do is she would castrate them. So basically, she's surrounded by a bunch of non-producing men. That's how she surrounds herself. And all you who had to do was scream up to the men who wanted to be true men and say, which of you will help me? And throw her down from the wall. In other words, how many of you are tired of not being who God created you to be and not coming in the fullness of your manhood? Partner with me and throw Jezebel down from the wall now and let her die. Let her be devoured by the hounds that she partnered with right on the hills of Old Fall, which means feces, by the way. That's a picture. First Kings 1980. You gotta love Ahab. He's a little tattoo. You wanna recognize Ahab? Find out who's running in Narcan. Okay? Because that's what Ahab does. He goes, let me tell you what they did. Let me tell you what happened. Okay, and I want to say this. Jezebel can come through a male, and Ahab can come through a woman. Okay? You need to know that. It's their spirits. It's not about male or female. I've seen Jezebel operate through a man so powerfully and come after me. It was one of the most painful experiences of my life. And I've seen Ahab operate through women who tattle. Run and tell, run and tell, run and tell, and then get Jezzy stirred up to come after me. Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, how he killed the prophets of Baal with the sword. Got her all stirred up. All stirred up. Runs after the true prophets with a murderous spirit. That's what she does. Only to face her own defeat. Come on. Amen. Only to face her own defeat. So battles are so fierce and so close to your heart that you can't make it to the place you need to be to hear the Lord on it. Has anybody ever been there? You are done tuckered out. You're being chased by something. You don't even know what it is. You're so tired you can't figure it out. But it's coming for you. And you're just worn out. You can't even discern what is this Lord. So he stops, it says, First Kings, and he sits down in this bush. I'm going to read a little bit here. First Kings 19. It's a beautiful story. And the word of the Lord came to him. Oh, let's go back a little bit. Let's do this. He came to a broom tree and sat down and listened to Elijah. He sat down under it and prayed that he might die. So if you're having suicidal thoughts, you know you got Jizzy on your tail. All right? Just take a cap and make it obedient to Christ and move on. He prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. 
take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the tree and fell asleep. He was tired. All at once, the angel touched him and said, get up and eat. We always hear really spiritual people saying, I don't need nothing but the Lord. I just need more of Jesus. I can make it through anything. I just need Jesus. That's all I need. I don't need people. I don't need food. I don't need nice clothes. I don't need a nice car. Well, the angel touched him and said, get up and eat. And he was not talking about spiritual food. He said, brother, your body's tired. You have a spiritual man and you have a physical man. And you need to feed that physical man. It goes on. It says, Elijah woke up, he ate a little something, there was some cakes cooking there, so it doesn't say he cooked them. So I don't know if the angel made his food or what happened, but it says Elijah woke up, he ate the cakes, and then it says he was so tired, it says he fell back asleep again. Have you ever been in a battle like that? You just wake up, you can wake up long enough to eat, and sometimes you don't even want to do that. Somebody's got to tell you, you need to eat. You're like, eat, I need a break. No, you need to eat. It says all at once the angel touched him a second time. He said, get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. In other words, the angel had a revelation of how far this individual was going to have to go, how far Elijah was going to have to go. He said, this journey is too much for you. If you don't eat, you don't take care of your physical body, you're not going to make it to the place of your destiny. You're not going to make it to the place where you actually hear the word from the Lord that you're going to need to step out on to get where you're going. Can anybody say amen? Amen. That's so good. It says, so he got up and he ate and drank, and then it says he was strengthened by the food. Can anybody say amen? That's why we like potlucks at church. Amen. Yeah. Yes. Come on. I'm just saying. There's nothing wrong with a potluck. I just want to thank you again. I know I thank you all the time. I'm so thankful she brings vegetables because I try to eat healthy. I know y'all like sweets, but I'm just so happy every time I get to go out there and eat cheese and veggies and something healthy. I don't feel guilty of taking care of my temple. I just absolutely love it. Thank you, Mira, for your service. We sure love you. Strengthened by the food, it says he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. Now this is interesting. If you know the history about Horeb, you know that's Caleb's mountain. That's where the Anakim, uh, some of the largest and most powerful, difficult giants to defeat are. That being true, listen to the meaning, the Hebrew meaning of Horeb. It means arid, dryness, to dry up or to lay waste. So he does travels 40 days and 40 nights to the place that's dried up. <laughs> that's laid wasted, that feels absolutely arid. I never could figure out why the Lord said to him first in 2 Kings 1.10, what are you doing here? Because he traveled 40 days to get to the dry place. It's not like God told him to go there. That's where he chose to go. I'm dry, I'm tired, I'm arid, I'm worn out. The first thing the Lord says to him is, what? are you doing here? He replied, 
Well, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. Lord, didn't you see all the works I just did for you? I killed all the prophets of Baal. I broke down your altars and put your prophets to death with a sword. I am the only one left. I'm alone. And now they're trying to kill me too. <laughs> I can see your eyes open. I have been in situations like that where I felt like I was the only one. Now it was not true. But because of the lack of communication and the lack of fellowship and I wasn't in with the right group of people, it did feel very, very lonely. Has anybody else ever been there? Yes. That's a sign you might need to gather some people around you. Then the Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord. So he's in the place of arid dryness, the place where everything is dried up and laid waste. And the Lord says, go out into the mountain and stand in the presence of the Lord, even there in your dry place, in your arid place, in your place where you feel completely worn out and like you can't do this anymore. Daddy wants you to know his presence is there. And all you've got to do is stand. Remind me of that verse. In Romans, where it talks about not judging our brothers for what they eat and what they don't eat, but the Lord is able to make them stand. And I'm kind of getting this picture in my mind's eye of the picture. There's a painting on my wall that was painted by Violet Freeland, who I dearly love, good friend. And above it, it says, Dalithemia Talmud. That's Hebrew, and it means know the one before whom you stand. Because of Christ's finished work on our behalf, we are able to stand before the throne of grace. Stand boldly, be coming before the throne of grace, asking whatever we need, in season and out, anytime. And he tells Elijah, go and stand again. He was sitting on a bush. He was pouting in the cave. The Lord said, I need you to stand up, soldier. Remember who you are. Stop taking counsel with yourself and come and stand in my presence and listen to what I have to say about you. Remember who I said you are. Come on. Can anybody say amen? amen. The Lord sends him up again after that. Okay, They had this great conversation. The Lord comes in a whisper. You know, He wasn't in the wind. He wasn't in the storm. He wasn't in the fire. Yada, yada. But it was in the still small voice. Sometimes we expect God to show up in these huge ways. Well, he's going to bring me a million dollars. He's going to bring me the best job of my life. Right? I'm just going to step into this job. I'm going to get $80,000 a year. And it's going to have benefits. And they're going to love me. And I'm going to be amazing. You know, but he opens up an empty level job where I'm going to get maybe $20 an hour. And when I'm faithful with that, he opens the next door. And then I step through that door. And when I'm faithful with that, he opens the next door. And I step through that door. And I go from faith to faith and glory to glory. And he changes my life because I'm faithful with the thing that's right in front of me. I love, I love Second Kings here, one time. The Lord sends him to hell. Okay, so he gets done telling him this whole sob story. The Lord said to him, Elijah, go back the way you came. In other words, go follow the little trail you just took to the dry and air place, and I want you to go back to where you were before. Get back in the promised land. Anybody been there before when you came back out of the desert to try to escape? 
the, the warfare that happens in the promised land. The Lord said, I need you to go back. Come on. Go back to where you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael, king over Aram, also anoint Yehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel, and anoint Elijah, son of Shaphat, from Abel. Let me say that, I don't know. Meholah to succeed you as prophet. So he did three things. He raised up a foreign king, he raised up a king over Israel, and he raised up Elijah's protege. We love the idea of superheroes, Superman, Captain America, you know, Batman, that macho thing, Wonder Woman, right? I don't know who the other ones are, Catwoman, whatever. And this idea that these superheroes can go out and win and defeat the world by themselves. But I love the Avengers and Guardians of the Galaxy because they're so goofy. I love Guardians of the Galaxy because they're real people. And yet they get used so mightily in their picture of the fivefold and the Avengers too because we can't do it alone. Each one of us has a specific supernatural superpower that is really cool on its own. But there's always something that comes that we in and of ourselves can't defeat. But when we partner up with a team of other people, when we have a protege, when we have others working alongside of us, it's so powerful. Because what we can't do, they can do. And in our weakness, he is strong. And in our weakness, our friends and those traveling with us pick up the slack. And it's just amazing. So just for your information, this is kind of fun. Elisha was Elijah's companion and protege. Yehu killed Jezebel and Ahab. Come on, somebody. Hazael killed Ben-Hanak, kind of the evil king. So basically, he comes to this place, dry, tired, worn out, feels sorry for himself. The Lord says, stand up, let me remind you who you are. He sends him back into the promised land and has him anoint and raise up three other people to take care of all and bring judgment, quite frankly, on all the evil people that would not repent. And I'm just like, ooh, that ain't no play. This is a beautiful little story. It doesn't end that way. I want to tell you the rest of Elijah's story in 2 Kings 1.10. Azahiah had continued to operate kind of that murderous spirit. Elijah was told by the Lord to give Azahiah a word that he was going to die on his deathbed. And unlike Hezekiah, he also was a king later in Israel who repented and asked for more time to live. He humbled himself and asked for more time to live in the Lord for 15 more years. As Ahio was so mad that the prophet gave him this word, rather than humble himself and turn to the Lord, repent and ask for forgiveness and more time, he railed against the Lord and tried to kill the prophet. Two similar responses to totally, two similar prophetic words were given. One person responded humility and the other person responded murderous spirit. Come on, bitterness. That's crazy. All we gotta do is humble ourselves. So he and Elisha are sitting on this mountain, and as Ahia is sending out these captains in groups of 50 against him. Have you ever been in that situation where you're sitting in the high place, you know you go with Jesus, and you're watching the enemy come, and his company's come, and you're like, ooh, okay. I love this story because with the prophets of Baal, Elijah had built the altar, he dug the pit, he cut up the firewood. He called down the fire, and then he slaughtered the prophets of Baal by hand himself. But he learned something new here. Look at what this says. If I am a man of God, 
May fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50 men. Mm. He didn't even touch him. He didn't even touch him. There was no way he was going to get himself to the place where he was striving and trying and working so hard that he was going to be tuckered out to be attacked by Jezebel again. That wasn't going to happen. He simply spoke. If I am, Lord, light him up. Light him up. Resting in the reality that God's judgment is perfect and good and merciful because it is not his desire that any man should perish, but that all should turn from their wicked ways and be saved. Him. And that's what the scripture tells us. That's the love of God. That's the heart of God. That's the truth of God. But there is a time for judgment. And he learned to rest. He learned he doesn't have to, it doesn't have to come by his hand. Let the Lord do it. Let the Lord do it. And he wasn't worn out. No regrets. Somebody say no regrets. No regrets. Never regret choosing God in his way. No matter what you lose, no matter who you lose, no matter who comes with you or who doesn't come with you. Never regret choosing God. Always. His way is the best. In military battles, guys and gals can come home regretting that they took lives of terrorists who are going to destroy entire cities. They have to trust that they were commissioned to bring justice in that situation. And having been sent to do a job, it is finished. And they have to trust that the souls of the fallen ones are in the hand of a loving God. Can everybody say amen? Amen. amen. We never have to regret speaking the truth in love. Okay? Even the Lord in that moment, when he said what he said to that woman, he's, he's perfect. He didn't sin. It's always okay to speak the truth in love, no matter how people are surrounded. Never regret holding a standard or his standard for leadership. There's a lot of pressure on leaders to lower the bar. But you never have to regret holding the standard for his leadership. That is love. And never regret when God's judgment comes. Because his judgment is mercy. This is a hard one for people. I remember being angry at God for about six months, honestly, when I read Kings where it talks about the judgment that came on the city when they started, you know, functioning and cannibalism and different things. For those that know what that means, I'm using that terminology intentionally because of the youth movement. And I was angry. I was angry. I was like, Lord, seriously, like, why did you let it get this bad? When Cain killed Abel, and Abel was the, the good one, the one that loved God, the one that served God. I was so angry. I said, like, why did you let Cain live? And he said, Stephanie, first of all, my mercy triumphs judgment. Second of all, I'm giving him time to repent. Sometimes we think the ones that live long and outlast are the holiest. That's not always the case. Sometimes this is their last chance, and he's giving them more days here on earth because he understands what their end looks like, and it's going to be an eternal birth. And we don't want to talk about that. None of us do. People have said to me, why would God, why would a loving God create hell? A place of torment, specifically for people to be tormented. I said, he didn't create a place for people to be tormented. God gave people the freedom to choose. Did they want to be in his presence? Or 
for this fullness of joy and love and all things good? Or did they want to be separate from him and not be a part of his family? And when we are separate from God for an eternity, it is a place devoid of all love, all goodness, all kindness, all faithfulness, all self-control. So evil prevails. Hell isn't a place of torture that God designed for to send evil people. Hell is a place devoid of God and all of his goodness. And that is where we go when we refuse to be reconciled to him. And he loves us so much, he won't force us to be reconciled to him. But he does ask us and he invites us over and over and over again. I had a friend who overdosed a couple years ago. I was so upset with this person. She called me a couple days before. The Lord said, do not go. Do not go. I was like, yeah. Those of you that know me, I, I want to go. I want to comfort. I want to hug. I want to love. He said, do not go. And I knew that it was going to feed into the spirit of self-pity and attention and the different things that were going on. He did not let me go. She said, when I died and I flatlined, everything was snowy. And I stood at the edge of this cliff and I saw hell. And she came back. Gave her life to the Lord. Okay. I will serve you all the rest of my days. Goes on this mission trip. And now, having come back, got offended on the mission trip. It is walking in sin again. After she saw hell. I can't relate to that. And this time, the Lord told me, do not even pray. I said, yes, sir. He's only told me that twice in my whole life. And it's in Jeremiah. He told Jeremiah, I want you to stop praying for these people because I need to be able to bring my judgment. It is my judgment that it is my mercy. It is my judgment that's actually going to save this person from themselves. It's sort of like a father. When the child has been naughty and lying and sneaking over and over and over again, maybe stealing from the parents. And the dad and the mom's like, no, 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 don't discipline, no, 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 don't discipline. That mother heart wants to protect. And father heart says, mom, I need you to sit down. And if you can't handle this, I need you to go outside. Because I'm about to take this boy, and I'm going to bend him over my knee, and I'm going to give him a real good spanking. Because he's not listening to my love. He's not listening to my words. He's not listening to my kindness. And if I don't love him enough to whoop his behind, he's not going to make it. And he's going to be destroyed by the sin that he so relishes right now. Can anybody relate? And for parents, when we have to spank our kids, it's like it breaks your heart. Yes. It breaks your heart. But if you love them, you will discipline them. Because sometimes it's the thing that saves them. It saves them. God's judgment is his mercy. 2 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. As some understand slowness, instead he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Okay? So hear all of that in that context. That's the truth. A good father disciplines his children. And daddy, Abba the father, he is the perfect father. And he will discipline. He will never punish someone so severely. He will never punish them out of unjustified anger or rage or without the motive of loving them into the place of 
wholeness and reconciliation to himself. He will never take someone home if there is hope that repentance will drag them firm into the plans of the enemy. I love this verse in Isaiah 57, 1. This is the other thing, too. We talked about Cain and Abel earlier, how Cain got to live and Abel had to die, and that was so frustrating. Isaiah 51 says, The righteous perish, and no one takes it to heart. The devout are taken away, and no one understands that the righteous are taken away to be spared from evil. That's deep. To be spared from evil. We look sometimes like I had a friend who died in high school, car crash. Horrible. It's like, Lord, why? I said, when I saw this verse, I even think sometimes about all the kids that have been aborted. And I look at this verse. The righteous are taken young sometimes to be spared from evil that the enemy has planned on them. What that means, I don't know. We'll know when we get there. But ponder that for a minute. That's love. And we get it twisted because we're looking at it from an earthly perspective sometimes. Because we want to be with them. We know that we're eternal beings. We're created for eternity, so it's hard for us to let go. Going back to our story. In Luke 18, 7, it said, And will not our just God defend and protect and avenge his elect, his chosen ones, who cry out to him day and night? Will he defer them and delay help on their behalf? Can I say, yes, he will. Come, that God is on his way. Yes, he is. In 18.8, I love this in the Amplified. I tell you, Jesus said, he will defend and protect and avenge them speedily. The word jumped off the page at me when I read this. A prophet called him from across the state. He gave me this verse in the Amplified. He said, it's time. He said, it's coming speedily. Says, oh, yes, sir. I received that. And our final words in the story, and I love this. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find persistence in faith on earth? So take just a moment and ask, Holy Spirit, what is it that I need to be persistent in? What is it? It was persistence that helped the widow get justice from the unjust judge. So it doesn't matter that it was an unjust person. It was persistence that helped the Canaanite get the miracle for her daughter from Jesus, who had a different mission and, and, and focus in that moment. Persistence and faith is the key. God always, always, always answers speedily. So keep asking. Keep knocking. And keep speaking as truth, because you shall have whatsoever you say. Amen. 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 I'm going to tell you a little story before we close out. Some of you may be familiar with the picture, some not. I'm going to tell you a little story about the Star Spangled Banner and the American flag. A little bit of background on the War of 1812. Simmering. A 
anger at Britain for interfering in American trade and pressing U.S. sailors into the Royal Navy and standing in the way of westward expansion led the United States to declare a war against them in June of 1812. British forces distracted by the country's ongoing war with France, the United States scored some encouraging early victories in the War of 1812, but Napoleon's defeat at the Battle of Waterloo in 1814. The British turned their full attention on the war in North America, okay? What was really happening is people were trying to escape religious persecution and come to a land where they could worship God freely, where they could have a fresh start. That August, British troops invaded Washington, D.C., and they set fire to the White House, the Capitol, and the other government buildings. They were just getting started. The Royal Navy then trained its sights on Keene's seaport of Baltimore, Maryland. On September 13th, U.S. soldiers at Baltimore's Fort McKinley withstood some 25 hours of British bombardment with cannons, literally. 25 hours. The story says that a gentleman, a Maryland-born attorney with a thriving practice in Washington, D.C., Francis Scott Key, was captured and was watching this bombardment in a night watch from a ship where he'd been held. They say that the cannons kept going against the camp, and the, they were not being successful, and the British wasn't being able to make a dent, and the ground wasn't being taken. But the Americans, these men, these women, who believed in liberty and justice for all, and freedom, in the reality that all men were created equal, they said the flag is the symbol. So they take the flag, and they would go out there two, three, and they push the flag up and hold it up straight. And then the British would bomb them. For 25 hours this went on. Those men would die and the flag would fall down and three or four men would come out and pick it back up. And the British would bomb again. And all the men would die. And four or five more would come out and they would pick the flag back up. And the British would bomb again. And the flag would fall back down. And four or five men would come out of the fort and pick the flag back up. And by the second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eight hours, these men are coming out and standing upon the dead bodies of their brothers who laid down their lives for their freedom and pushing this flag back up only to be bombed by the British. These were my forefathers, my great-greats. It's a beautiful, beautiful picture of no surrender, no retreat, no regrets. They didn't regret that they were standing on top of the brothers because they understood the sacrifice that they died for. They didn't regret having gone out and taken their turn to hold the standard high. And we hold Jehovah Nisi. We hold him high. That's the banner we keep pushing up. That's the flag that we fly high. His banner over us is love. And no matter how many times in the heat of the battle or how many hours straight the enemy bombards us with his bombs of bitterness, whatever it is, four or five more men are going to come up and we'll pick that banner back up. You say, we will choose love. We will choose forgiveness. We will choose God. 
We will choose to believe. We will persevere. We will be persistent and we will pray again and again and again and again. And then in the morning, that's why it says, I don't know if you know that, the rocket's red glare, the bombs bursting in the air. That's what that song is about. It's about these men that were laying down their lives to hold up the flag. In a proverbial sense, that's what we're doing over the generations since Christ till now, and even before them, the Abrahams and the Daniels and the Annas and the Deborahs, the Moseses, the Methuselahs, the Enochs. They ran out. They said, what do we carry this banner? Regardless of the cost, regardless of the bombardments, because for us, there's no surrender. There is no retreat. And we will have no regrets when we stand before the Lord our God face to face and we hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And that is what you will hear. That is what you will hear. And great will be your reward. Great will be your reward. If you have your Bible and you want to turn, you can turn with me. Go to Matthew 5. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are you peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Some of us don't want that persecution, but he said the kingdom of heaven is near. It says that those that are persecuted because of righteousness, yours is the kingdom of heaven. Congratulations. Blessed are you, daughter or son of God, when people insult you, when they persecute you, and they falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice. Rejoice and be glad because great will be your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. In other words, darling, you're in good company. You're in good company. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're in good company. You're in good company. Tell them, no surrender. No, no surrender. No retreat. No retreat. And no regrets. No regrets. Amen. That's all we have for today. Todd, I'm going to ask you to put one on the music. And uh, I was thinking about what to impart today. And I feel like it's just supposed to be kind of a word. The Lord was reminding me of the different times in the Bible where people took off their shoes and what the shoes on the feet of people meant in the times of Israel. If you're familiar with the story of Boaz and Ruth when he wanted to be her kinsman redeemer, he had to go to the gate of the city. And the man that had the right to Ruth had to take off his shoe as proof, as covenant, <clears throat> showing that he gave up his rights to her. So the taking off of the shoe represents a giving up of rights. And sometimes we read the story about Moses in the burning bush and how he took off his shoes and we say, oh, you know, because God said, take off your shoes, you're standing on holy ground, that it means that you've entered into a holy place. But that's not true. In Israel's times, it means he took off his rights. So when God said, take off your shoes, to Moses, he was saying, take off your rights. 
and we're coming into a season where God is asking us, will we give up our rights? Will we say, Daddy, whatever you want, I am yours. I give up my rights to be right. I give up my rights to be avenged. I give up my rights to choose what I want to do. I give up my rights to have people say what I want them to say about me. I give up my rights about what it would look like. I give up my rights about this thing that I want and that I long for. I want you more than I want anything. And if that's you, if you're saying, yes, Lord, I give up my rights, I absolutely surrender, I choose you,
Thank you for listening today. Take a moment and ask Holy Spirit what He wants you to do with what you've learned. And remember, with God, all things are possible. So keep dreaming, keep praying, and simply obey. Because God is good, and He has good plans for you. You can subscribe to our blogs, learn about our speakers, and even hear from one of our team members how you can take part in transforming a city, your city with Christ. There's no time like the present. Visit ShekinahOnline.com. If this doesn't excite you, watch for our new and God-inspired product line, a newly released book by Stephanie Butler, more testimonies from our listeners like you, working to bring unity in cities across the world. If you feel led to support our podcast, you may do so on our Shekinah.com website. Or if you would like to support us monthly, there is a link labeled Listener Support on every podcast. Until next time, we thank you, we love you, have a blessed day.